Mm-hmm. What's that, Charlie? Yes. I just want to say Jesus used props. He said, see that tumbled down house over there? Do you taste the salt in the fish in your lunch? See those birds and flowers? See that narrow gate? You know, we have Matthew's recording of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and you've probably all been wondering, is that all there was that Jesus had to say? I mean, if you think about Jesus' Sermon on the Mount that you can read in Matthew 5, 6, 7, how long does it take to read it? 15 minutes? Kind of like a TED Talk? But in the scriptures, you hear these stories where Jesus is out there all day talking and teaching. Some days he's like talking so long that people are like, oh, we're so hungry, we're starving. And Jesus has to like feed them all. So what's the deal, Matthew? Limitations on paper? We just get like the highlights, perhaps, of what Jesus said. And so maybe you wonder... When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of heaven. Did Jesus, like, talk for two more hours explaining that and helping them? And where is that? (sighs) And then maybe you wonder, because we're at the end of our book reading of What If Jesus Was Serious? Today's part nine. Um, It's a lot of parts. Has it been long or short? Um, but you might wonder if you only in life ever had a couple of torn out pages of the Bible, and it was Matthew 5, 6, 7, you had the Sermon on the Mount, that's all you had. Is that enough? Enough to know God, know his ways, to live in the kingdom of heaven now? It's a good lunch question. All right, so part nine, working through our book Sky Giathani, what if Jesus was serious? And of course, the final question is, was Jesus serious? How do you answer that now? And I'm actually very curious. And I know Susie said, don't even ask because no one will reply. (laughs) But I'm going to ask. Email me your answer. Is Jesus serious? Has it been a long or short series? And in fact, where has been the rub the tension, the conflict in you when you have been reading Jesus' words? Is there something that has come up and you're like, ugh, I want to ignore that. Now I can't. You know, Jesus said, you know, if you have hate in your heart, it's just like murdering. He said hard things like love your enemy, forgive, or you won't be forgiven. Turn the other cheek, be perfect, What more are you doing than others? Even, I mean, on top of it all, he said, do not judge. (laughs) Don't be anxious. I mean, what has been the rub in you as you have been dealing with the Sermon on the Mount in Jesus' words? And then we come to today. Rachel just read very nicely Jesus' final concluding statement. Thank you, Matthew, for the concise little parable that it is because we cannot escape it. It's going to live with us forever, this idea. Ooh, if you hear and put into practice Jesus' words, it's like a house that will stand on a strong foundation. And if you hear and just move on, it's like living in a house with no foundation that could fall over at any storm. 
We have that in our mind now forever because of that little word picture, a little prop. But we can translate. Jesus maybe had said a few other things. He might have said, hey, you've heard me. Now what are you going to do? You know, you've heard me all day long talking about this. Are you going to put it into practice? Are you going to act on this stuff that I just talked about? Or are you just going to clap and be like, wow, Jesus, that's amazing. What are you going to do with what you've heard? So this morning, I want to consider how do we put Jesus' words into practice? How do we hear and then put it into practice? Perhaps we've been saying that we don't need to understand more of what Jesus said. We just need to actually put it into practice. So today, let's do a little consideration. D.A. Carson gives this illustration using a cone. And if you imagine a cone, it's narrow at one end, and then it gets wide on the other end. It's a cone, right? And he says that there's perhaps this problem in Western Christianity that when we come to the narrow gate of Jesus, it's too narrow. It's too difficult. It's inconvenient I mean, if, like Susie said last week, if, if you're carrying something with you, you, you can't get through. So that's a problem. So D.A. Carson says what we've done is we've added this big cone so that we've made the, the gate, the, the opening, wider to get to Jesus. Like the gate is over there, and we're going to make it a little more welcoming over here, help you on your way in. You know, so there's lots of talk about God's love and forgiveness, joy and peace, and all the help of your life along the way, right? Like, come on in. Take this step in, right? That's, that's what we do. And then once you get in, what happens? Ooh, it starts to narrow. <laughs> now, the messages aren't just the happy messages of just come on in. It's, ooh, you, you need to confess your sin. You, you need to work that sin out of your life. You know, there's some repentance involved. And you have to love not only your neighbor, but also your enemy. And it's just getting restrictive and harder and harder to get through the gate. This is my tension. I don't know what you're going to email me about what your tension is in the Sermon on the Mount, but this has been my tension. And this tension of the cone that D.A. Carson talks about existed for me for the first time when I lived in China. I lived in China for a little while, and in talking to people, and talking to people about Jesus, the uh, cone was kind of ridiculous. Because for them to step into the cone and to leave their cultural context actually was a problem, perhaps even dangerous. Like you could get tossed into jail for coming and living inside the cone. So the, the cone and this like American Christianity of just, just live in the cone and you'll be fine. Just do enough. There's a problem with that. In, in China, I began seeing and since then have thought a lot more about the accommodations we make to Jesus' narrow gate. You know, these accommodations where somebody says, well, I'm just a judgmental, critical person. God made me that way. Doesn't God accept me? 
and you're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, come on, just come into the cone, and um, we'll call that, what, what should we call that? Discerning. You're just a discerning person. Yeah, yeah, you can be in the cone, just, just stay, don't go. Or, you know, somebody's like, I, oh, I have to read what I wrote. <laughs> Something else. Oh, I'm harsh and condemning. See, I was trying to avoid that. I'm harsh and condemning. Whew, it's just who I am. Well, okay, we can accommodate. We can just call you a truth teller. You know, you're just, you just speak the truth. Or somebody who's like, oh, you know, I just really like comfort and ease. Can I just be in the cone? And we can accommodate that too. We'll just call you contemplative. <laughs> right? Just stay in the cone. Don't go back out. Just stay. Right? But in the cone, you never get past the narrow gate. You, you stay in the cone and never do this hard thing that Jesus says of coming through the gate. Well, the problem is, as D.A. Carson used this illustration, the problem is that the cone is actually facing the wrong direction. Pretty convenient prop. <laughs> right? We were starting with the the big end, trying to make it easy to come in. And Jesus just starts with the hard, the difficult. He just says, start here. The, the cone is the entry point. And Jesus says, he's like, yes, you have to come in humbly. Yes, if you're carrying something. Yeah, if you're carrying something, yes, you have to set it down. Yes, you have to do this hard thing of die to yourself. You know, we have this thing at baptism. You know, we set up the baptismal thing here. We do baptism. We dip somebody in the water, and we say, dead to sin. Come back up out of the water, alive in Christ. Because at the gate, the narrow gate, the entry point is this thing that happens where we have to be stripped. There's actually something that dies in us. And then... By stepping through the narrow gate, Jesus makes us spiritually alive, puts divine life into us. So when we step through the narrow gate, yeah, we have to let some things go. But once you step through, then the horizons open. I mean, the goodness and greatness of God just is expansive before you. I mean, yeah, you have to go through the narrow gate, but once you're through, wow. Divine life is available, and it begins to grow and expand in you. And Jesus knows this. You know, we, American, me, trying to accommodate and create a bigger, wider funnel to get people to the gate. Jesus is like, no, I don't, don't even bother with that. Just go to the gate, get through, because the other side is so much better. Just get through the gate. And when Jesus sees people, it's not like he's like, okay, well, you've got to clean up those things first and, you know, be churchy. Jesus sees you as this person made in the image of God, ready to take on all that God has provided to you and live the divine life. So Jesus says, just get started. Go through the gate. No qualms about it. Sermon on the Mount, kind of harsh because Jesus says, yeah, this is it. That's the gate. Come on through. Once you're through, spiritual life. So how do we 
hear Jesus' words, put them into practice. It seems like rather than you know, reading the Sermon on the Mount and just picking something out to work on, like I'm going to pick on that and just decide to work on it, instead, survey your life, look around, pick something, and then hold it up to Jesus' teachings. Here, here's what Jesus says. How does that apply to this thing in my life? So perhaps you have somebody in your life who is hard, somebody who treats you poorly. I mean, you can decide as you're imagining this person, um, is it on the spectrum of they are so harshly, terribly treating you, or are they just on the annoying end? But you don't like being around them because they're annoying. On that spectrum, you have somebody in mind, I'm sure. And what's your normal response to that person? Get away. Just avoid them. Or maybe your response to them is to mirror back to them their behavior. You're like, you treat me that way? I'll treat you that way. Or maybe more in a silent, quiet place, you rehearse in your mind all these things about this person and imagine their demise, right? You're just stewing and brewing on them. Okay, I don't want you to think too long about that person in that way, so stop that. And think about, instead of the normal way, think about what Jesus is teaching us here in the Sermon on the Mount. Bring Jesus' teaching over to this person. What does Jesus say? Says, judge them. No, he says, <laughs> do not judge them. He says, condemn them. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe, because Jesus did say, you know, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Maybe that applies. But that doesn't apply. So Jesus says, love them. Love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, how do we apply that? As that comes in, what do we do? How do we do that? So love your enemy is inner work. You know, perhaps you can't love them directly through your actions because your insides are going to produce your actions. So even if you're faking it, they're going to know you're faking it. So how do you love them? We need to work on this indirectly, which is prayer. When we pray, we are bringing ourselves into the presence of God for him to form and shape us so that our thoughts are formed in us and then our actions are created on the outside. So we pray. But here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones said first. We must get on our knees and talk to ourselves before we talk to God. I love this. It says, before you go talking to God, talk to yourself and here's a few steps, he said. So he said, here, the normal way is when something terrible is done to you and you're just annoyed by somebody, instead of reacting to that person in the same way they treated you, instead of being bitter and harsh toward them, instead of trying to protect yourself in some way, here we talk to ourselves and say, we, I, everything I do is before God. Everything is under God. So God is in all of this. So I begin there. And then I have a few questions I can ask myself to talk to myself. First, I can ask myself, 
why does this person act this way? You can become a little detective and just think about not just the, you know, imagining their demise stuff. You've stopped that. But now you come over here and you're like, why do they do this? You know, what is it in their, their life at home or in their growing up or what circumstances are they in that it's causing this? So you can start there and just think about them in a good way. Maybe then you can second ask yourself as you're talking to yourself and say, okay, what do I do that gets this out of them toward me? What's my part in this? You know, I see them and want to reject them, but what am I doing that's creating that? And do a little self-reflection as I talk to myself. And then maybe you can start thinking a little more deeply and say, okay, this person God loves, made in the image of God, goodwill toward them. What is it just in their sinful nature where they are not living in harmony with God and that's producing this? What is it about them that needs to be brought into the presence of God and to see them as whole? before God and needing God. Here's what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. After we've talked to ourselves in this way, then we should go on thinking until we see them in such a way that we become sorry for them. Until we see them as going to their terrible doom and at last become so sorry for them that we have no time to be sorry for ourselves. Amen until we are so sorry for them, indeed, that we begin to pray for them. See that little progression of Martin Lord Jones saying, you need to talk to yourself first. You know, you don't just pray at the beginning, oh, God, fix them. But there's a little bit of a process of holding them before God. And then once they get close, then you can pray. And God says, now you're ready to pray. Now you have something of how I see them in you. Now you have some of my love ready to hand over to them. So when we invite Jesus into our everyday circumstances, then Jesus can show up in our everyday lives. You know, until you step through the narrow gate, which is an everyday activity, once you step through, then the divine life, life with Jesus, is present and available to you. But if you stay on the other side of the gate, you're just going to live your normal, natural life. Emmett Fox wrote this curious thing. said, you write your own history for tomorrow and for next year by the thoughts that you entertain today. You write your own history for tomorrow and for the next year by the thoughts that you are entertaining today. You know, the thoughts that you rehearse in your mind, the things that you brood over in your heart, those produce the actions in your life. So if you're stewing over the hurts done to you, and you're brooding and dwelling on the things of people and how they're annoying to you and harshly treating you, that's what you're meditating on, what are the actions that are going to be produced in your life? The same kind of stuff. 
you are going to be reflecting and mirroring what they are. And then you know what happens? Somebody else is going to have to get on their knees and start praying for you because you are such a problem. So instead, Jesus says, step through the narrow gate. Yeah, this is a one-time thing that happens for the first time, but then it's an everyday activity coming through the narrow gate, being stripped of our natural responses, being stripped of all these things that hold us back, being stripped of the stuff we're carrying around, being stripped of that so that we step through, experience the divine life, and start living that with Jesus, putting into practice forgiveness, setting down anger, It only becomes possible once we've stepped through. I mean, if you're just in the tunnel of the cone, like, trying to get to the gate, you can't even imagine the goodness of God that awaits you. You have to step through in order to then experience the goodness of God. So how do we rehearse these things of God? You know, perhaps it's by, for nine or ten weeks, reading the Sermon on the Mount over and over, rehearsing those stories, and when you're rehearsing the things of God in your mind and you're rehearsing this idea that God said, I send rain and sun on the good people and the bad people. And you just rehearse that, meditate on that and chew on that, dwell on that and say, wow, God, you care and sustain for this whole world and all the people at all times. Wow, I want to be a part of that. I want to join you in that. And you're letting God's thoughts and God's ways shape and form you in your thoughts and your insides so that then your actions reflect it. So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus invites us to live the divine life with him. And at first it might seem super hard, difficult, harsh. We might be like, Jesus, come on, that's so hard. We, it's impossible. And Jesus says, I know. You can't do it on your own. Step through the narrow gate. Believe me, trust me, come with me, and then it's possible. The divine life becomes possible once you're with Jesus in that. All right, so in wrapping up, you know, Matthew, in his TED Talk version of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, just shoehorns in Jesus' prayer, the model prayer. You know, you're reading along and you think, wait, this doesn't fit here. But Matthew did that. So I'm going to use it because it's in the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm going to invite us in a moment to do a little body prayer. So if you want to become comfortable with the idea of standing and moving your arms, um, prepare yourself. But a body prayer, to use our bodies to reflect what's in the prayer. Because sometimes we can say these words, and it doesn't sink down beyond the level. So we have to do some things with a pause. And we begin, and we can put our arms in the air like this. Because what's happening, this is important. If you're holding something and you say, Our Father, who art in heaven. Okay, i got to set this down. Okay, our Father, who art in heaven. And you just think about that. God. Pause. Then. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think of the things that you're beginning to meditate on in that. Your will 
be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm putting myself under your will. I want your will more than my will. Give us today our daily bread. Oh, God, you provide all. I'm not on my own. I don't need to go and scratch it up for myself. You provide. Give us today our daily bread. And then forgive us our debts as we, hard to say the second part, forgive our, can't even say it, debtors. Right? Arms crossed across your chest like, oh, we receive forgiveness from you and help us pass that forgiveness down the line. And then lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Ooh, just to acknowledge that there's an evil one, that there's evil. There's this, I can participate in evil. I can stay on the other side of the little narrow gate and live there today. Or I can step through and say, God, I'm here with you. So this is the down here. Ready? So arms up, arms wide, hands together, arms crossed, down by your side. You ready for this? I invite you, if you'd like to participate, the words for the Lord's Prayer will be here. That we're, I mean, The Lord's Prayer also comes in different versions, I understand. So we're going to do this one. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Down here. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Together, give us today our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Last down here. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom, the glory, and everything ever forever. Amen. You may be seated.